Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You are listening to part five of our series, Untangling Emotions. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back and relax. Here it is. Can you just let me know, has this been helpful for anyone so far in this month we've been going through this. I just feel like, man, I feel like God is breaking through in this series. I feel like God is is doing something, speaking to us, speaking to our hearts. And so one of the things that I've said kind of every week, uh, really two things. Number one, just realize that God has something for you. This is not just to, to hear what's happened in other people's lives and other people's stories. God has something for you. And so uh, our, our sub kind of thought in this whole series has been essentially this. We want to get spiritually healthy, right? We want to grow in our walk with Jesus. But the truth is, you can't be spiritually healthy while remaining emotionally unhealthy or emotionally immature. Is everyone with me this morning? And so that's kind of been our subthought in this series. We've gone four weeks through this. We got week five this week. Next week, we got week six. And Amy is going to preach next week. And she's going to keep us in this series because we're not quite done. And uh, I might, we'll see, I might come back to it after and we'll never finish Untangling Emotions. But uh, it's been good. So this is part five today. And what I want to do, I teased it last week. And if you missed last week, I just want to encourage you, go online, check it out. It's all up there. But last week, uh, what I said was that we have... um, We're going to go through the book of Genesis, and last week we looked at a part of the story, kind of looking at shame and um, guilt. This week, I'm going to look at the story and the same story in Genesis, but one of the things I did last week is I kind of only looked at Genesis chapter 3. This morning, I'm going to just briefly talk about Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, because I kind of have something that I wanted to let you guys know, a tangent of sorts, but not really. But I want us to understand a characteristic of God. So as you begin this morning, I kind of just want to teach for a second. Can I do that? Now, one of the coolest things I think about God, like as we sing all of his names in the, in the song, Adonai, Elohim, um, Emmanuel, just all these characteristics of God. One of the coolest things about God is that he is Lord, he is over, he is omnipresent, omniscient, like big, grand, we are finite beings, yet we as finite beings actually have the opportunity and the ability to know God. Like, that's kind of crazy. We can actually know about God. Now, we don't know God extensively, meaning like God is so grand that like there's no way we can possibly know every aspect of him. But although we cannot know God extensively, we can actually know God accurately, meaning we can know what God is like, even if we do not know the whole of the vastness that is God. And if you're asking, well, how do I know what God is like? Super simple, through his word. The Bible gives us the clearest picture of who God is. And so, again, all of those names that we went through um, in the song, pretty cool. But I think one of the characteristics of God that we don't often see, but I think is central to who he is, God is a God of order. God is a God of order. 
And I want to show this, and again, like you can look at this, I believe, throughout Scripture. It is everywhere. God is a God of order. But one of the things that we see, uh, last week I said we were in Genesis chapter 3. That looked at traditionally the fall of Adam. What I skipped was Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you get the creation of the world. And in the creation of the world through this, you get to see one of the main characteristics of God, that God is a God of order. So for those of you guys that have been in church, you have probably read the creation account at some point in your life, right? Like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty without void, formless, all those things. But one of the things that maybe you did not know is that the creation account is actually a form of poetry. Did you guys know that? So the creation account is, is what is called a Hebrew chiasm. Now, I'm not going to explain exactly what a Hebrew chiasm is for the sake of time. You can go look it up. It's kind of cool. But the Genesis account follows this form of poetry. And so why I'm telling us this is because if you read the Genesis account and you read it trying to kind of just get a picture of, like, what's happening, how is God forming the earth, like, it's cool. You can kind of form the mental picture if you want. However, if you do that when you're going through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you are missing the bigger theological point. It is twofold. Number one, that God is creator. That's important. But what's equally as important is that God has created everything with a semblance of order. That is what this poetic form is showing us, is that as God has created the world, everything is in order. You guys following me? And so what we see in the account of creation is that after each day, God declares and decrees that everything is good. It is perfect. It is within order. And one of the things that we see in God's creation account is marriage between a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And God declares that this marriage is good. And it is in order. And so... Why this is important is because when we look at the fall, which we looked at last week, we're going to look at it again this week, one of the distinct and tragic things that happens in the fall is, above all, that which was in order has now been thrown out of order. And that in which God designed is now out of order. And so what's relevant for our series as we go through this whole thing about our emotions is one of the things that we have said is that God created emotions. And our emotions actually work in us intrinsically and instinctively to respond to the situations that are around us. God has ordered and created us as such. However, one of the things that God didn't necessarily create us for is a world that is out of order. Yet... You and I live in a world that is out of order. And so a lot of times what happens is we have all of these emotions that God has given us and that are good, but they don't always function as good, especially when they're responding to a disordered world that is around us. Does that make sense? And so kind of what I want us to say, it's, it's kind of this, disordered lives will lead to disordered emotions. Because the world is out of order, that means there will be times where our emotions, although they are natural, intrinsic, are still out of order. Now, really, I would say the last four weeks, we've kind of looked at that and explored that and gone deep within that. What I want to do today is I want to look at one of the things that was thrown off in the creation account, which was family. 
one of the central things that we see with the fall is that the family unit was now disordered. And so for all of us in this room, whether we want to admit it or not, you have been and are being formed by your family of origin. You cannot run away from it. Some of us are like, I I would never run away from it. I love my family. Others of us in the room, we do not want to think about our family. But the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, our families, specifically in our formative years, are the strongest influence on who we are and how we deal with emotions. Now, I know for some of us, you're like, well, Harrison, my family's great. I don't think that, like, there's anything wrong. I'm just going to, like, go on my phone and play games. Um, Some of us are, like, leaning in, like, my family's messed up, pastor. Let's get going. Um, But one thing is true. Ever since the fall, and obviously there are degrees, but every single one of us, our families are in some way dysfunctional. And that's the point I want us to understand as we get going. I don't want anyone to tune out because you think you had a perfectly healthy family. Romans chapter 5 says, verse 12, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So I may not know your parents personally, but one thing I know about them is they are sinners. And so in some way, as amazing as mama and daddy were, they have sinned. And so you grew up in some kind of dysfunction. Now, obviously, and I I don't want anyone to think I am naive, there are different levels of dysfunction. However, for the purpose of today, I want us to kind of do a deep dive into our family origins. Um, There's a saying that uh, I've come to like. It's from a pastor. But he says, says, Jesus may live in your heart. He says, but your grandpa lives in your bones. And so what he means by that is that like you can, Jesus can come into my heart and I can have this whole transformation, all of these things. But no matter what, I cannot run away from my family of origin and, and, and my parents' parents and their parents' parents because all of those things have formed us in some way. You have been shaped in some way by your family. I can almost guarantee, you know that thing where you always avoid conflict? You're like, I, I don't want to even just get into it. Like, I just, No. Chances are that probably came because you grew up in a family that avoided conflict. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're like always ready to go at blows and and punch people in the face, it's probably because you grew up in a family where conflict was encouraged, right? Because we can't run away from our family of origin. If you overwork constantly, I can almost guarantee you probably came from a family where your dad or your mom worked 90 hours a week. And so there's something inside you that says, I'm going to work 100 hours a week if I'm going to get to where I need to go. Why? Because we can't run away from our family of origin. Like for us and my family, one thing that we do, all of us, we deflect emotions with humor. Or maybe just me, I don't know. But I think, I think, I think all of us, and it's, just, it's, it's how we're formed, right? We, we see it, and so we become, right? We, we behold what we, we become, what we behold is the saying that I want us to say. So what I want to do this morning, kind of a long introduction, but I want to go back to our very first family and the first dysfunction because I think the first dysfunction is going to help us understand the dysfunction that you and I face in our lives every single day. So we're back in Genesis chapter 3. We were here last week. Um, just some context. If you guys weren't here, there's a tree. God says, don't eat from the tree. There's a snake, the devil. He says, Eve, you're good, girl. Just eat it. You guys remember this? 
Genesis 3.6. It says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it and the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, Again, we looked at this last week, looked at sin, looked at shame. If you missed it, YouTube, Spotify, all those good things, check it out. But in this moment, this is when the world is now disordered. Now, if we were to look at that story and begin to ask ourselves, why did the world go into disorder? Now, obviously, kind of large thing we could say, well, they disobeyed God. But over time, people have tried to dissect the story and kind of understand what's going on. And so, quick question, like who was the first person to eat the fruit? Eve, right? And so you can kind of look at the story and be like, well, I think like it's Eve's fault. Because Eve ate the fruit, Eve was deceived, and she gave it to her husband. So like in the natural kind of looking at it, like whose fault is it? It's Eve's fault, right? Wrong. This is what scripture says. Romans chapter 5. It says, sin entered the world through one. Shout out the next word. One more time. One. One. I can't hear you. One. Man. And death through sin. So biblically, theologically, Paul says sin entered the world not through Eve, but through Adam. Now, when I look at the story, again, I, I broke it down. Like, it kind of looks like it's Eve's fault because she, she was doing all the active stuff. Why does the Bible blame Adam? Why is Adam responsible for the sin of humanity? Pretty simple. We got to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Adam was created first. This is what it says. It says, the Lord God took the man put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So in this moment, in the creative order, Eve is not yet around. It is only Adam. And God gives Adam a charge. He says, this garden is yours. Work the land. Take care of it. You have dominion. You have authority. You have position. This is really important. God gives Adam position. He is the leader. He is in charge in this moment. And he is the one that God says, there's a tree. Don't eat from it. And in this moment, as we understand the creative order, Adam is given a position and a charge and a level of responsibility that was not given to Eve. And so what happens is even though Eve may do all the active stuff, getting the fruit and, and, and all those kind of things, at the very end of the day, it is Adam's fault and he is the one to blame because Adam was given the role and the responsibility. Now, where I want to go with this today is what I want us to understand is that Adam is an archetype and he's a picture for every single man and very specifically father that has come after him. The Bible describes Adam as our first father. And like Adam, every father that comes after him has had a divine responsibility and call on their life to lead and to protect 
and in essence, what we see in this story to make sure that God's commands are obeyed. But much like Adam and all the, fall, the, 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 the fathers that have come after him, all fathers are marred by sin. And like Adam, what we see is Adam is out of alignment. Because when you really break down what is happening in this story, God has a charge to Adam, super simple. God calls Adam to be active, right? All the things he says to him are to be active. What we see in the fall story is simply this. Adam was passive when God called him to be active. What was Adam's sin? Super simple. God called him to be active. He was passive. If you want to understand the sins of our fathers in the simplest terms, is an overarching idea. Fathers are passive when God calls them to be active. Now, I'm going to really dig in and go through this. But what I want to understand for the purpose of today, because here's where I want us to go, especially when it comes to our emotions. The reason I talked about how God has so ordered the world is try as we might as humans to run away from the fact of that there is a God or that God has ordered the world. You can try and run, you can hide, but if creation and the order in which God created everything is true, then it'll come to fruition whether you believe it or not. And so what that means is simply this. Every single person in this room, you have a father. Now, they may no longer be with us. You may have never known your father, but at the very end of the day, all of us came from somewhere. In verse, obviously, all of us also have a mother, right? But for the purpose of today, and for my mothers out there, you're off the hook today. Because the sermon's not called Mommy Issues, it's called Daddy Issues. And I don't got time to do both sexes today. So, Mama, come on, somebody, you're off the hook. Love you, moms. Um, dads, buckle up. <laughs> but, um, like, <laughs> don't actually buckle up. Calm down, come back to me. Um, because, and this is going to be hard because I am a father myself. And so my, my, my heart today is not to pile onto dads and to make us feel bad. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, all of us fall short, much like our first father. Uh, but the reason that I really don't want us to hone in on fathers, and as hard as this may be, if you are a father in this room today, I actually want you primarily to hear this message through the lens of a son, not through the lens of a father. And again, for ladies, I want you to hear this through the lens of a daughter. Um, because we're talking about fathers, and I want us to understand just the role that they play. Because one thing, again, kind of that I was getting at, was that our shortfalls don't change God's plan. And what I mean by that is this. No matter who your father was, no matter good, bad, indifferent, or the otherwise, he still had a divine calling on his life. No matter what. Because God's design doesn't change even when we step out of alignment. However, when we don't act in alignment to God's ways and God's plans, that is when we, as sons and daughters, get hurt. And so what I want to do today is I want to show us, in this room, the effect that a father has on us, because it is a great one. And what you need to understand is that, listen, if you want to be a father, understand this, there is a great responsibility and there's a great position of, of power, in a sense, that is on your life, but with that comes some pressure, right? People are like, I love power. Like, I, yeah, 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 but with power comes pressure. And so I say that to understand that you as a dad and your dad before and his dad before, there was a level of pressure on their life because there is something intrinsic about fathers that form us as sons and daughters. 
And so kind of where I'm going today, super simple, my point is this, no one shapes us like a father, no one shapes us like a father, but in the same breath, no one hurts us like a father. So Adam is a pattern, that's the point, and you and I come from a long line of fathers that have formed us, but have also hurt us. Is this making sense? And so every single person in this room, son or daughter, we all carry what is called a father wound. And what a father wound is, it is simply the way in which our fathers have hurt us. Now, again, I know for some of us, it's, it's, it's going to be smaller. For some of us, it's going to be a very deep and open wound. And so today, it could be painful as I go through this, but my heart is, again, number one, not to pile on fathers, and it's not to make us feel bad, but I want us to begin to understand why we are the way we are. That's the whole point of this series, why we are the way we are, why I act the way I act, why my emotions are the way they are. So, uh, again, just prefacing that, because it could get emotional today, because I know this is an emotional topic. So, um, a father hurts us in two ways, in two ways. Number one, by their presence, or number two, by their absence. A father hurts us in presence or by their absence. And the truth is, many times, in many cases, it's both. It's in their presence and in their absence. And so again, it's not a matter of, do I have one? It is simply, what does my wound look like? And again, I want us to understand the wound because I want us to begin to stitch it up and to understand what my issue is, because I know there are people here today, you have deep wounds, and you've never actually connected it to your family of origin. And so perhaps when we go through all the practical things of guilt and shame and fear and anxiety, something feels amiss. It's like, Harrison, I hear what you're saying, but there just there, there must be something more, because I can't quite get better. I can't quite get healed. I would argue that perhaps there is a deep wound that has been given to us by our family of origin. Again, mama, you're off the hook. It's just dads today. And so um, John Eldridge, uh, he's written some books, and I think they're amazing books. I'd recommend them, um, just about the masculine heart and the feminine heart. And uh, Christy and I, we've both been reading them uh, on our own, and then they have one together for, for, for couples. But he kind of has a theory in terms of what men need and what women need, and I actually think it's very true. It's a generalization, um, but it encompasses, I think, all of the small things that as men we are actually longing for, and as women, that we are longing for. And his thing is essentially this, um, and I'm, just for uh, the slides in the back, Kareesh, I'm, I'm all over the place, so you're going to have to follow along. Uh, but what men is this, what men need is this, it's simply this, it's a question, do I have what it takes? This is the heart cry of every man. It is a question that haunts them and never leaves them. Do I have what it takes. For women, question is a little bit different, but you're going to see for both sexes, there, there's a lot of similarities. But it's simply this, do you see me? Do you see me? The cry of the heart of every woman essentially is, am I seen? For a man, is to have what it takes. To have what it takes. And so I want us to understand when it comes to the father wound, our deepest wounds are when these questions are not answered, but even more so when we feel the opposite of the longing of our hearts. 
And so I kind of want to just go through this because I'm, I'm trying to get our minds to go somewhere. Then don't worry, it's going to get better as we go on. But I want us to understand what this looks like for both men and women. So how does a father, number one, hurt us by their presence? Because a lot of us are like, yo, like just dad just needs to be around, right? Just, just show up and then you're good. You're going to be healthy because your dad was there your entire life. Wrong. Listen to this. I told you I wasn't talking to fathers, but I kind of am. Fathers, <laughs> showing up is the lowest level of responsibility. Like, it's good. Like, show up. Be there. Lowest level. Right? You ever heard dads say, well, I was there. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I was there. Yeah, the TV was on and I was reading the news, but I was there. Showing up, lowest level um, of calling. But... Even more than that, how does a father hurt me when they're around? Look what Ephesians chapter 6 says. It says, verse 4, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. So when Paul says, do not provoke your child to wrath or to anger, what he's really trying to say, he's talking about the words of a father, how a father speaks to their child. And generally speaking, the words in which a father speaks to their child, the words that cut the deepest are the ones and the things many times, not even that a father says, but a lot of times it's the, word, the words a father doesn't say. When we look at Adam, who was an architect, an archetype of all fathers, what was his grave sin? He was passive when God called him to be active. And so one of the things that our souls long for from a father is our father's affirmation. And the way in which a father affirms us needs to answer that fundamental question for a man, do I have what it takes? John Eldridge has this simple thought, but it was so powerful to me. He said, for men, we go to every single place looking for the answer, do I have what it takes? Many times we go to women. Just give me a woman that will tell me, affirm me. We'll even go to our friends, tell me, affirm me. But his thought is super simple. He said, the affirmation a man needs most is from his father. To answer that question, do I have what it takes? Now from a daughter, same thing, but it's do you see me? And so for a, for a girl, a little girl, for, for a growing up girl, a teenage girl, even a young woman and a woman, like there is a cry just, that, does my father see me? Does he see me? And so one of the ways a father doesn't see his child is through a lack of affirmation. And, and I know for some of us, we've been there. Our, our hearts are going. It's like, man, I've never heard those words before. And what I want you to understand is that when that happens, that, that causes a wound. But in the same way, and this is where I think it's really easy for men because I think we're, we're kind of wired a certain way. A lot of times, it's not that we don't affirm, but many times we affirm the wrong things. And I think one of the, 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 the easiest things that we do as fathers is instead of affirming our children for who they are, we affirm what they do. We say things like, man, you are the hardest working person I know. Like, you are a great athlete. You are so smart. Like, go down the list, right? Like, you crushed that. You're... But the cry of our heart is not so much to be affirmed in what we do, but we must be affirmed in who we are. And so one of the ways in which a father hurts us and scars us in their presence is when we do not get those affirmations. And we begin to long for them. We begin to long and search. And, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I want us to look at the other thing. Can we go back to Ephesians 6 for a sec? 
because he says, again, do not provoke your child, but he says, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So again, understand this, fathers, you have a divine calling on your life to raise up your children in the Lord. So listen, I know a lot of us in this place are like, Harrison, I'm a first-generation Christian, right? Like, my, my dad wasn't even a Christian. But again, you can't run away from creative order. And so there is actually a longing deep inside of all of us for our fathers to be a spiritual figure in our lives. That's just, that's ingrained into us. And so one of the ways, and this is, this is a grave sin, but we see it so much in the church, and it's, I don't know the solution to it, but there are so many mothers that come to church without their husbands, but their husbands are around. And I'd love to speak to them today, but they're not here. Come on, somebody. But you need to understand, fathers, and again, when it comes to spiritual leading, this is Again, a pretty low level. But when you do not come to church, your family is missing something because there's a calling on your life. Now, again, that's just a really low thing. But if you're like, I want to just, I want to change some things today, super simple, start coming to church with your family. That makes more of a difference than you know. But even more than that, again, it's inside the home. It's, it's am I leading and to lead is not to do everything because ladies, mothers, you know this. You don't just sit around the house and say, all right, you, it's you, leader. That's not how it works. But what happens many times is that the man, it's not that he just allows the mom to do too much. It's not that. It's that he just defers completely. And all of a sudden, the mother is left with the load, kind of doing everything. And whether we know it or not, and if you grew up in that household, that leaves a wound. Leaves a wound. So that's how fathers hurt us in their presence. Now, when it comes to their absence, it's pretty simple. How does a father hurt us in our absence? We look at all the things, the calling, the affirmations, the things that a father must do. Pretty simple. If your father isn't around, you're not going to get those things, right? So this is deadbeat dad. This is divorced dad. Sometimes, and this is of no one's fault to themselves, it's dead dad. I, I didn't grow up with a father, and I never had that picture. And I want you to understand one of the things we've said in this series quite simply, and this really goes for everything, but we don't get to choose our plight in life oftentimes. And so it can seem like, well, Harrison, like, well, what do I do? And, and listen, we're going to end with hope. Don't worry, because this is like, Harrison, this is hopeless, bro. We're going to end with hope. But I want us to understand, even if you've never met your father, that leaves a wound because you're missing something that you were designed to have. And that's one of the ways that our world is out of alignment in the sad parts. But when a father isn't around, and I guess in the same way, this would be the same person as like, I guess works too much dad or isn't around dad, like we're still together, but he's just never around. And so what happens for a man and a woman, they have these questions, do you see me? Right, women, do you see me? Men, do I have what it takes? And because... What happens is they never get the answer to the longing of their heart. They go chasing to answer the questions for themselves. My whole point, though, is to let us know that these questions cannot be answered ourselves. But your biggest emotional problems in your life, whether you know it or not, is you're trying to answer these questions yourself. As a man, you're trying to say, do I have what it takes? And as a woman, you are longing to be seen. So what does this look like for a man? 
What does a father wound look like in a man? Pretty simple. This is the overcompensating men. And to be honest, these are most of the men that you meet. These are the people that all they can talk about is what they do. They don't have any other conversations other than what I do, what I have done, what's coming up, what I did 14 years ago, what I built 16 years ago, and what I'm going to build six months from now. All of me is work, 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 do, do, do. And in the same realm as a woman, it's be seen, be seen, be seen. Because people need to know I have what it takes. But even more than that, I'm trying to convince myself I have what it takes. There's a reason I never rest. There's a reason I never stop. There's a reason I'm never content. Because I must answer the question, do I have what it takes? Can I tell you, and this is, some of you guys are like, okay. Most of the successful people, a lot of the most successful people that we know are the most deeply broken. And the most deeply hurt. A lot of times, men, and this is, this is a very generalization because you can be rich and healthy. But a lot of men that are driven to make more and more and more and more money when they've had well more than they need is because they're trying to answer this subconscious question, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? I think the other way in which men do this is, is in the same realm we do it through women. We do it sexually. We act out. Because we say to ourselves, well, I'm going I'm to show... I'm going to show I have what it takes. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to conquer and see her and see her. And then they're going to know I'm a man. But what you don't know is you're acting out of a deep woundedness. And no matter what you do, no matter how far you go, the answer to the longing of your heart will not be satisfied. Because you're searching for something. And you're searching really in a way that goes against that in which God created. Now for a woman... And I should say one of the things to you, and this is both men and women, but what we do is we create walls where we don't let people in. And we do that because if someone gets to know me really, that might expose me and let them know I don't have what it takes. And so it's easier to stay on the surface because on the surface everything's good. But down below I might have some things going on and so we don't get deep. Both sexes do it, but you know men are notorious for that one. So for women, again, what's the longing of my heart? The longing of my heart is I want to be seen. I just want to be seen. And so super simple, we do everything. Well, not we, I'm not a woman, but <laughs> women do everything in their power to be seen. And again, this is going to look different for different people, but it's things like I just have to work harder. And that's where many women can intersect sometimes. It's like, I'm going to be super successful. I'm going, to, I'm going to just keep climbing the rank. I'm going to have more titles next to my name, more money, more this, more that. That's one of the ways. Another way we do it is simply just like, I'm going to be seen, right? And I think as a woman, and again, there's just so many intersectionalities that uh, I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself because we do a lot of the same things. But for women, it's a lot of times it's using things like our bodies, Right? This is a way for me to be seen. And so we post or we go out and we act out. And it's just like, I just need someone to see me. I just need someone to see me. In the realm of friendships, women, I've never been in a woman friendship before, but from what I've heard, they can be contentious at times. And I think one of the reasons is because many times there's a deep scar within the people in friendships. And it's that scar that says, do you see me? 
And so because they've never been seen, when they get into friend groups, it is this constant battle to be seen. So how can I be seen? What's the best way to be seen? Conflict. Because if I'm acting out, people will see me. And again, I'm getting beneath the surface. Because on the surface, we would never know we're doing this. We would never know. But all of us, men and women, we are just deeply, deeply hurt. We want to know if I have what it takes. We want to be seen. But here's what I want us to understand. Here's kind of the point I'm getting at. If a father hurt us, here's the truth. Only a father can restore us. If a father hurt us, only a father can restore us. So listen, if you are a father in this room today, there's some good news. Because you have the ability to answer the questions to the deepest longing of your children's hearts. If you have young children, you can start today. If you have older children, a part of it might just be believing, like, hey, every day is a good day for restoration. I may not have always been perfect, but I can start today. Now, for some of us, when I say only a father can heal the father wound, that feels kind of hopeless. Because you're like, Harrison, you don't know my dad. Like, there's no way he's ever going to come through. There's no way he's ever going to apologize. Or for some of us, it's just like he's not around anymore. He passed away years ago. Listen, here's the good news. If you don't have a father that can reconcile, and only a father can restore us, the good news is this. There is a father that has sought restoration. Romans 5.15, it says the gift, come on somebody, is not like the trespass. It's not like the sin. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace through one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared, look at this, with the result of one man's sin. As I go through this, you're like, Harrison, like, that's a lot of weight that fathers bear. You're giving them a lot of weight. And the reason I'm doing it is because biblically and in creative order, I believe God has given us that weight as men and as fathers. But the hope in Romans chapter 5, verse 16, it says the gift is so much greater than the curse. Nothing compares And so listen, fathers, we got a big role. As you're sitting here as a son and as a daughter, your father played a big role. But guess what? God's role is bigger. And guess what? God's blessing is bigger than any father wound, than any father curse. And because of Jesus, the perfect father, I don't have to live a cursed life. That's what he's saying. He says in verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, Listen, why is your dad the way you are? Because of Adam. Because <laughs> like his dad sinned and his dad sinned and his dad sinned and his dad sinned all the way back to Adam. Just as one man sinned, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For justice through disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, but the obedience of the one man many will be made righteous. Here's the point I want us to understand because you're saying, Harrison, how do I get a father that can restore? How do I get a father that can make things better? Here's the good news. We have a perfect 
perfect father. I said we have a perfect father. Listen, everything that we are looking for is found in Jesus. This is good news. Fathers, this is good news. Everything that your children are looking for is found in Jesus. The answer to the deepest longings of my heart. Do I have what it takes as a man? Do you see me as a female? All of those are answered by Jesus. I want to look at Matthew chapter uh, chapter 4. I think I have like chapter 3 up there, but I believe it's chapter 4. You guys can scripture check me later if you've got a Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 3 or 4. I want to show us an exchange I think is very important because it's for us as much as it's for Jesus. It says in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, the screen says Matthew 5. I got Matthew 3 on here. (laughs) Scripture check that, people. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out into the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. I want us to see this part. Verse 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. A voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God the Father really need to affirm Jesus? Like, did Jesus, who is God, need to be affirmed? Maybe. Like, I think affirmation is always good. But when I look at this story, what I think this is a real picture of, it's a picture for us and showing how God the Father relates to us. And why I want to look at this story is because this is before the ministry of Jesus began. In other words, he hadn't really done anything. No miracles, no crazy feats, no walking the water, no splitting the seas. Jesus, up until this point, had just existed. And what does God say? What does the Father say to the Son? He says, this is my Son whom I love and I am well pleased. So sons in this room, I want you to hear something. Before you do anything, simply by existing, the Father in heaven is proud of you. Listen, hear my words, son. You have what it takes. Why? Because God says, I am well pleased. Now listen, daughters, come off somebody. Jesus wasn't two genders, he was just one, but this goes for both of us. In this same way, for daughters, you want to know what he's saying? He's saying, before you do anything, don't care how much money you make, don't care what she looked like, don't care what she've done, you are my daughter. And I'm pleased. And I see you. I see you. Listen to this. I I need us to receive these words, sons and daughters in this room, because we're we're healing the father wound. We're healing the wound. Jesus says, sons, you have what it takes. He says, daughter, I see you, and I love you. Before you do anything, you could never open your mouth again. You could never succeed in anything again. I love you, and I see you. And outside of this, you need to understand the cross was the greatest demonstration of the love of a father. Because on the cross, what Jesus did is he went on the cross, not just for sons and daughters, but he went on the cross for fathers. 
Because he says someday there's going to be a dad that lets down his kids. There's going to be a dad that's not around. There's going to be a dad that passes away. But on the cross, each and every time he said, this is a reminder of my love for you. I've affirmed you, but now I'm going to prove it. Listen, son, you don't feel like you have what it takes. It's okay. Because I have what it takes. And you're enough. Daughters, you don't feel like you're seen. I see you. And this is for you. So listen. Only a father can heal the wound that is left by our fathers. And so as I go through that list, what I'm trying to get us to do is to see what way have I been hurt by my father. And so we have two options. We can be reconciled to our fathers, but if that's not an option, we look to our heavenly father, who is everything that we are looking for. But what that means is this. For my earthly father, whether this is real in person, this is beyond the grave, or this is my dad is somewhere, I don't know where he is. Here's our job as sons and daughters. Here's your primary job as you leave this place. Forgive your father. Forgive your father. Why? Because Jesus died for your dad. And he died for him because he knew your dad wasn't perfect. And so listen, you want to free yourself from the father wound? Forgive your father. Forgive him today. But listen, if you are a father, I want to give you three things today. Because I also believe, and I I shouldn't have said it because I have been speaking to fathers. But I believe God sent me here today to get you to do three things. Number one, forgive your father. The absolute best way to be a good dad is to be a good son first. And I can't be a good dad if I harbor bitterness towards my dad. So forgive your father. That's the first thing you can do. Second thing is this. Each and every day, point them to their perfect father. That's your job. Point them to your perfect father. Son, daughter, I let you down, but here's someone who never will. So the third thing is this. What does that look like? I have to be humble. I have to be humble. So listen, today is the day, if I'm a father, if I'm a dad, I just go and I say to my kids, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm sorry if I affirmed you in the wrong things. I'm sorry if I made things that weren't important, big deals. You are important. You are my son. You are my daughter. I see you. I'm proud. You have what it takes. You want to know what it means to be humble? It also means to say, I can't be perfect. I don't have to be. But Jesus is. My kids, I'm finishing on this, I promise. My kids are too young now, I think, to to really apologize to them. I hope I haven't really hurt them yet. It hasn't been long. (laughs) But I heard a practice from a pastor, and he said, one thing I tried to do, he said, I understand that I am a father, and therefore I will hurt my kids. It's not if, it's when. He said, so every single week, what I do at the end of the week, he's like, I talk to each of my kids, and I just said, hey, how did I hurt you this week? And then I apologize. Now, again, because my kids aren't quite old enough for that, I had summer interns two years ago, kind of like my little kids. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Small age gap. (laughs) But each and every week, I finish, maybe not every week, but I try my best. Just like, hey, how have I offended you? Where did I fall short? 
I apologize. Listen, you want to be a great father today, you want to be an amazing father today, just simply apologize and point them to the Father in heaven. And I just believe today, man, God is doing a supernatural thing in this room. So can we just stand right now? Because I believe that God, I want to pray for us. I think there's two things that need to happen today. But I think one of the central things revolves around forgiveness. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want us to have a time right now where we just forgive our fathers. This is the first step. For some of us, it's going to be an in-person thing, but this is the first step. Just in our hearts, just to say, Dad, like, I forgive you. I forgive you. The second thing is this. I want us to bring in and I want us to accept the fact that God is our heavenly father. <clears throat> I know for some of us, you want to know how you, have a, how you have a father wound? Look at how you pray. If you can never call God father, you only call him God, Lord, anything else, it's probably because there's a little bit of a tinge when it comes to father. But I want us to address God right now as father. And I just want us to say, we can, let's just say this together, just say, Father, come on, let's say it together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. God, I just thank you so much that you are our perfect Father, God. Lord, you know the wounds, you know the pains, and you know the behaviors the outer things that too often we think are the things we need to address when it's deep hurt, deep wounds. Lord, I just pray today that this is the beginning of a journey. God, there are so many actionable steps that we must take. Forgiveness that we must walk through. As fathers, humbleness and the ability to ask for forgiveness. So Jesus, I pray today in this place, online, whoever is watching this thing, I pray for a divine releasing and outpouring of your spirit that is gonna allow wounds that have been deep and, and, and large and, and just there's history behind them, God. I just pray, Jesus, that you begin to heal us. I thank you, Father, that you are our heavenly Father, our perfect Father. God, I thank you that as a man, I have what it takes. I thank you for all my sisters in here, Jesus, that you see them. May we begin to believe that today. We love you, Lord. We pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen. 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 Come on, can we just give Jesus praise? Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to find out more about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.